You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, my name is Dee Dee O'Connell, and you are listening to And the Award Goes To. It's a look back at Broadway's most magical night, and all of the winners reminisce with delight. With their talent and brilliance, they always impress, and the Tony goes to my special guest. Have you ever dreamed of winning a Tony Award? Did you ever practice your Tony acceptance speech in the bathroom mirror? Did you grow up watching the Tony Awards every year? Do you have a collection of Tony Award shows on VHS tape that you refuse to throw out? Well, then this is the podcast for you. Every week, I interview your favorite Tony Award winners, and together we go down memory lane as my guests share intimate and never-before-shared details about their Tony experience. By the end of every episode, you're going to feel like you just won a Tony. Welcome to And the Tony Goes To. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Welcome today's Tony winner, Deirdre O'Connell. Oh, God. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am, I am the face of a, of a very large beast that made Dana H. And there are too many geniuses to thank. Um, Lucas, 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 Les, Misha, Dana, for letting us invade your privacy so completely. And every member of the crew, the stage managers, the agents, the producers who took care of me. But I want to say one thing. I would love for this little prize to be a, a token for every person who is wondering, should I be trying to make something that could work on Broadway or that could win me a Tony Award? Or should I be making the weird art that is haunting me, that frightens me, that I don't know how to make, that I don't know if anyone in the whole world will understand? Um, Please let me standing here be a little sign to you from the universe to make the weird art. Welcome, welcome, Didi O'Connell. That was an extraordinary night, an extraordinary speech, because it... um, a, created a hashtag, which is make weird art. <laughs> Can you tell me as we as we just watched your acceptance speech together, what feelings, thoughts, memories were were provoked by that? Yeah, you had, you had, you had said before, you know, that, that that everyone feels a little a little trepidatious about it. It's so funny, right? That we feel trepidations instead of a, yeah, let's look at that moment of triumph. But uh, 
I, it's, it's cool to look at it. It's cool to look at it and see me negotiate my way through <laughs> a terrifying moment. Um, I had very much decided to say that stuff. It's funny. I was in a Will Arbery play called Corsicana at the time when, when the Tonys happened. And there was a lot of, um, the word weird, I think, was in that play like 50 times. <laughs> so the word weird was very in my subconscious. I didn't even think about it until after it happened. But I I really didn't know what I would say if I won. And then it was one of those woke up at four in the morning, but got a piece of paper, wrote down that speech and then said, OK, I have a speech and brought the little piece of paper to the Tony Awards. So it was a pretty pure for the yeah. morning impulse to have something prepared and and to I, I I did feel like well what is this circumstance what is this what is this circumstance to be on network television winning you know a big prize and what have I felt when I've been the one that's sitting at home watching TV and um and I thought, oh, I, d- I do often feel very far away from it and, and confused by it, confused by by uh, how should I be feeling about this? Should my ambition be totally toward I want to be that person who's up there or should I continue with what I'm doing? Ooh, have I not been ambitious enough? Am I am I too eaten up by ambition? By, by these, you know, all those all those spiritual questions come pouring in when you're sitting by yourself watching TV, watching your friends or people you've never seen or shows you've never seen or shows you love winning that Tony Award. Yeah. It's such a specific thing for uh, for actors, especially if you're a person who works off-Broadway mostly. So you're sort of living in a parallel universe. Your, your universes overlap a lot, but it's they're, they're also like they are not, they don't, they operate very separately, you know, the Broadway world, the way that functions on every level and the off-Broadway world, the way that, they, you know, and yet we all overlap a lot. We all know each other and blah, blah, blah. So it's, it was a funny thing, like how much it sparks. So that was why I wrote that. I was kind of like, I'm going to write it to the me that's watched this a million times and said, am I doing enough? Am I doing too little? What do I really want? Am I... Am I uh, hiding from my own ambitions? Am I, yeah, all those questions would come pouring up. So I, it, it was kind of an answer to that. Like, no, we just got, because, and I'm talking so much, I guess yes. this is a podcast. Yes, That's please. I, um, I, 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 um, and because Dana H was made for, you know, um, a, a with a very uh, a specific curiosity on our part it's about can how far can you push this form? How can you far can you push theater? What can theater do? We had no hope or ambition that we would be on Broadway. It just wasn't part of the part of the thing. We were taking time off from that worry, you know, each of us in our way. So our feeling was, and so our our our. Uh, our whole thing going in was kind of like, we're going to take a couple of years off from that work or that worry and do this experiment, do this. And I'm going to be this Petri dish and I'm going to turn myself into a beast that who can do this thing that no one will want to see 
except for the people who love really obscure experiments. So that was the, the, the fact that that got lifted all the way to that situation made, made that I was, I really meant it. I meant like, if you want to go away for two years and learn how to lip sync, do it. Who knows? Hey, you never know. <laughs> that might be the way you're supposed to be spending your time, not just for your soul, but for your career as well. You know, so yeah, it's that separation between your soul work and your career work. I've always felt that that line to be so clear sometimes, not clear sometimes. It's it, you know, we've always struggled with it. So this was an example of not struggling with it at all, and then having all this stuff befall us and me because we had underestimated audiences, basically. This production, it was, you know, it was done in Chicago. It was done in Los Angeles. It was done, you know, at the Vineyard Theater, originally in New York, and and then Broadway. So not just an audience, like thousands and thousands and thousands of people fell deeply in love or were really open to this experiment that you guys were doing. And I think part of that, is obviously that magical combination of actor and part that happens every so often. And it's like chemical and combustible and it's undeniable. So can we go back in time a little bit to when you were first presented with Dana H and what your early memories are of conversations or, or being handed the, the script? Yeah, the, this first, first I got to read the script. So uh, Lucas and I, knew each other for a while he had he had uh we had done a workshop of a play that was a fiction play that still doesn't really exist yet but that um he wanted and he wanted somebody to play a character who was based on his mother and he had always felt like before we knew each other way before we knew each other he had seen a production of mud at the signature when he first came to new york when the stuff that happened to Dana was going on, actually, so that was in the 90s, he had come to see a production of Mud, and he had thought to himself, that woman reminds me so much of my mom. So that sort of had stayed with him all these years, and then we became friends, and then we worked together, and we were we were very compatible and liked each other so much, and we our minds kind of work in a similar way. He's a genius, and I'm just a regular mind, but... But, you know, the way we like to do the Tetris of how do things work. So he, um, we knew each other. And he had this idea. I don't know. I, I found out about it through a weird circumstance. It's too complicated to go into. But it just sort of shows to go. that We were doing workshops of this other play. And somehow through a, a, a mistake, there was an error uh, uh, in... A casting director offered me a workshop um, in Chicago of a play of Lucas's. I said yes, and then a couple of hours later, it came back. No, no, no. Whoops, a mistake has been made. You're not being offered this workshop of a play by Lucas. So I called Lucas because we were friends, and I said, I'm just checking that everything's okay. I just got offered a workshop of a play about your mom, but not the same one we were working on. And then the offer got reneged and I'm confused now, but I, but I'm okay. But I was a little like, did Lucas go, wait a second, I don't want her to do it. Or what was it that happened? Well, Lucas called me and said, no, no, no. It was a complete error. It was, a, it was, you know, 
they made a mistake because we were talking about you. And I said, I don't want her to work on Dave because I have this other play that I'm writing for her. And I need but the two plays about my mother to be very separate for me. So if she was working on both of them, it would drive me crazy. So that was the first I heard of Dan H. And that was years before. So, and I remember the, the emotional ride of that because I loved Lucas so much. It was so intense. I was like, I got the job and lost it in two hours. What did I do wrong? You know, I was so confused. And then he explained it all to me. And then I was fine. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. We'll continue to work on this play, this fictional play. And this other thing I don't know anything about. Then a couple of years later, he came to me and said, I want you to work on Dana H with me. And I read it. And when I read it, of course, I wanted to do it. I mean, it was just the most amazing piece of writing and tale and voice and and window into a person and and just a fantastic story and a challenge and explained that it was going to be all in lip syncing. He knew exactly what he wanted it to be. He saw it from the beginning. He knew exactly how it worked. And I, of course, thought to myself, well, I'll be able to fight him. I'll be able to make it, make it my own. Yes. Yeah. I'll just do it a few times yes, and show him yes. that it's better if I do it. Because I was like, I don't know, right. even know if I can lip sync. I don't even know if a human can lip sync for an hour and 15 minutes just talking. I'm sure I could learn how to sing a song like that for that long. But how do you even do that? And what if I hate it? What if I hate the feeling of it? There's no way to find out, you know, because... There's no way to test drive the work that it would take for me to learn how to do it. So I had to kind of go in blind, but I had this secret idea. Uh, But I'm going to convince him. Well, I mean, that was, uh, I was an idiot. Of course, I wasn't going to convince him. But I did talk to him about it and said, so are you sure? And he said, I'm sure. You have to go into this knowing that I'm sure that that's what it has to be. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So I took a deep breath. And then I remembered um, seeing uh, Rumstick Road, this production of Rumstick Road that the Wooster Group did in the 80s that Spalding Gray wrote and created about his mother. And it was a play. It wasn't a monologue. It was when he was still writing plays. And there was a moment in that. It wasn't a moment. It was like a four-minute sequence in that play where Ron Vauder, one of the great actors that ever walked the face of the earth, lip synced. It was a phone call and I couldn't tell what he was doing. All I knew was that the the whole room just changed and 
and there was a kind of precision going on, and there was also a strange like wave of oxygen in the room, like it was completely free and completely rigorous at the same time, and I couldn't understand what I was seeing. And it, I saw the play a bunch of times, and then finally I was like, "Oh, he's lip syncing." I see what he's doing. And I gradually started to figure out technically what he was doing. But the first time I saw it, it was just like, it, it, it made my stomach drop and I didn't know why. And so I said, Lucas, you know, one time I saw somebody do this. This was at our little meeting to decide what I was going to do this. And I described everything and he said, that's exactly what I mean. I know that performance. I know that four minutes. I'm too young to have seen it, but I have a movie of Rumstick Road. And I look at that that sequence over and over again because I felt like that was lightning in a bottle too. I was like, "What is he doing?" And that's what we want to do <laughs> for an hour and a half. I'm going to do that, but I was in because I had never forgotten that, and I had never forgotten the mystery of it and the excitement of watching an actor up against a task that was so precise, but also so strangely freeing. It was. Is yeah. So uh, then we were in cahoots. Then I was like, okay, I know what we're talking about. I know that that feeling. I don't know if I can do it, and I don't know if I like doing it. But I'm well, gonna try to do it. That that's, that's is just describing your commitment conversation around the technical aspects of the show. Let's not even okay. Yes. So that is separate from the unbelievably difficult material you would have to be lip syncing right i mean that's separate from even then okay so yeah. that's that there's that totally there's separate. that now there's the story there's that right great got it i'm open i'll try i've seen it someone do it brilliantly i'm inspired i'm up for the challenge um, I even read, you know, now we have all these different kinds of consultants. When we do work, you had a lip syncing consultant. I mean, who also helped had had like a, a background in magic, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, I, I mean, there were all lot. these new creatives that you're meeting because this is such an undone sort of way to do a play. But then there's the story itself. Um, and so I would love if you could just talk That's a little bit sure. about... For those who don't know the story, just sort of a, a, a thumbnail sketch of what this woman's journey was and the idea that you were, I mean, just thinking of this boy, now man, who's written a play, whose mother went through this and was sort of living in the world and working on theater in, in New York while this is going on at the same time. It's all so heady and hard to really wrap one's brain around, sort of the the idea that other people are functioning in the world yes. while this is happening yep. to their parent. It's all hard to comprehend. But can you just talk a little bit about what her name was? Um, Higginbotham? Dane? Dana, yes. Dana Higginbotham. Dana Higginbotham. And she, um, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of like try to give a thumbnail. She, um, Dana's mom raised him basically by herself although she was remarried at the time when this story begins and it it was it all sort of coincided with the moment that the empty nest was going to begin Dane but uh Lucas had gotten into NYU he was going to go up to NYU um she and her husband were were beginning to break up um they were sort of trying to figure out how to do that she is was a um is a chaplain working in a hospital um, 
as a, in the sort of the social work part of it. Now she works in as a hospital, but she at that time was working with people who needed, um, she would work as a chaplain coming to people who were dying. She would work as a chaplain coming to people who needed social work help. She did, she did a lot of different things and she was called in to the, the uh, mental hospital part of the hospital to work with a guy who um, the guy who ran that section knew her well. I think they, I think they went to the same church and said, I, I have a feeling you can help this guy. Um, so that was how she ended up meeting Jim and she was helpful with him. She had a lot of empathy for the guy. He, he had done terrible things and he was a, he was a, uh, he'd been in prison in California for a long time and he was, he he had come up in a, um, a gang from the time that he was a little kid and, um, he, but they connected and he, she felt that he was really looking for a way out of the life that he led. But he also had a lot of mental health problems and he was um, in, in, in a lot of trouble and had been a drug addict. And so I, it was a perfect storm kind of, you know, when you try to describe like, how could this happen to a person who you can, who's completely relatable, who isn't, who isn't like living on in some sort of um, living way off the grid. She was not living way off the grid. She was, you know, living a regular life. Her kid was off to college now. She's working in this hospital. She befriends this guy. And it was this perfect storm of events was happening while her marriage was breaking up. It's Christmas time. Jim comes to her and says, I'm being released today i think it was christmas eve and they haven't found a place for me to go the halfway house that i was in before i came to the hospital um is not going to let me back in he had stolen something from somebody or something that month before and uh you know i say that like that doesn't matter but you know what i mean and and so he he literally had no place to go on christmas eve she calls her husband who's also who's also in the same work they work with homeless a lot he says, he comes over, meets Jim, says, you know what? Just come stay with us. This is crazy. This is great. It's Christmas. Come stay with us. So Jim does. And um, Lucas comes home from NYU and they have Christmas together. And Jim's, uh, you know, a little nuts, but pretty, but so grateful. And uh, he's sleeping on the couch downstairs and Jim and, and her husband, seem to be doing well. They're, they're sort of good at taking care of each other. Her husband's in there with Jim. And Lucas goes off back to school. Now it's time to figure out how to help Jim get a place to live, which they do. They, you know, put down a deposit on an apartment for him. They're, they're trying to help set him up so that he can begin his. And during that time, she and her husband break up. So she's alone in the house. And basically, then what begins to unfold is that Jim becomes more and more psychotic. He probably is starting to use drugs again. And he's very afraid to be in the world. He's a guy who's grown up grown up in prison, basically. So he doesn't know how to balance a checkbook or pay his rent or make sure that he gets to work on time. He doesn't know how to do things. And he's very dependent on her. And he's very dependent on her for daily advice. And he gets really scared and uh, it comes over to her house a lot and she's sort of on the horns of a dilemma about she's she's said 
that she'll help this guy, yet this is getting too involved. And one thing gradually leads to another, and at one point he kidnaps her. And uh, he basically has a psychotic break, breaks into her house, um, and takes her. Um, And she sort of didn't quite see it coming. It happened very gradually. It's kind of like when you're a lobster and you're (laughs) sitting in the water, you don't feel it getting hotter. By the time it was completely out of control, um, it was completely out of control. And he was able to to take her and begin to travel with her. And And it's and a lot of what happened at that point was her survival instinct kicking in. How can I? And, you know, you, what, once you know about this stuff, the, one of the things you realize is the moment that a person decides to try to get away, you, if, whether it's a violent marriage or a kidnapping, is the most dangerous moment. So trying to negotiate, trying to think, find that moment and know that you're going to be in a safe spot and you're going to be able to actually get away in that moment is the key. She did that a, a few times and failed or, or she got back to her house and he came there. She was in a, uh, she was just caught up in this, in this, um, went on for quite a few months. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. During that time, she didn't want to alarm Lucas. So she would set up that during his vacations, for example, they would be in a motel where Lucas could come and stay and they would spend part of Christmas at her parents or, you know, they would, but then Jim would come back and get her after that. So there was a way to kind of like, play it so that things were okay but they weren't and it went on for a while and she saw a a sort of world opened up to her where she saw that she was not able to go to the police because the police were indifferent to her she has a lot of thoughts about why that might be true in retrospect there were he was probably an informant he probably had a certain amount of uh, uh, use the, he was useful to the police department um, and you know uh, not just the, the police in Florida but through the police in California there was a it was part of a, a huge sting operation that was going on with white supremacists right at that time um, so she has theories in retrospect about about how it had happened that she was so helpless um, but the piece is a lot about a anyone who becomes helpless and all the steps that go into becoming that kind of helpless when you're you and and the amount of shame that you're carrying 
in terms of being able to get out into the world and say, this is actually happening to me. She finally did get away. And even then, it was a story she couldn't tell very many people because it's the kind of story that people say, well, that wouldn't have happened to me. I would have gotten myself out of there. And um, the make the creating of the piece was in many ways the beginning of her being able to get out of that kind of shame. And the creating of the piece was in many ways a way to tell Lucas what had happened and for Lucas to acknowledge what had happened and for them to look at each other and see it. Um, and I was just the conduit for all of that stuff. And it was quite the thing to feel that there was a real pure event that was going on between those two people and between her and the world and her and her, her fear of anyone knowing this for, for real, for, and some, for very concrete reasons, afraid of, of him, of him finding her again. But she's also afraid of, um, afraid of the, of the judgment that would compiling her way, which is very understandable. People being like, how could that happen? You must be complicit. You must have wanted that. And all of that, you know, stuff that we project onto somebody who's been a victim in a bizarre way or a victim in a way that, that it frightens us so much that that could happen. You know, I read that, Lucas himself didn't do the original interview that the the manuscript or the transcript is based on. He had somebody else do it. Um, was the intention yes. in recording this the story, his mom telling the story prompted by questions from this this friend of Lucas's, was the intention to interview her in order to create a piece of art from it? Was that always the intent? Yes, that she and he, Lucas and Dana, both. Uh, Dana, Dana had for a long time said this. That you know, she she, she knows her son. She knows his writing. She's this crazy thing happened to me. There's a play in here. I don't know what it is, but yeah. honey, there's a play in here. And he's yeah. like, yeah, my yeah, my. <laughs> and then, uh, in the it, so he finally he was like, well, you know what? Maybe what I need is not for you to tell me the story because we know the story. I want you to tell the story to somebody else. I want to record it and I want to listen to it just so that I can for a second hear it objectively so that I can begin to understand what I might, what play I might write about it because I can't, I'm too close to it. I can't see it. So that was, it was, he just wanted to make a document that then he could listen to um, to begin to spark his imagination about this fictional play he was going to write on the subject of the, this event that had happened to his mom. And these, and according to him, as soon as he heard the first five minutes, he was like, no, I know what this is. I know it's lip syncing. He might yeah. have known it was yeah. me that should do it. I mean, he, I think, I think he, the first second he heard the tape, he saw what it was supposed to be. And so then we just spent the next four years creating the thing that he saw in a flash. Just to be really clear, you had no ability to, there was no stop button. There was no tape recorder, you know, hidden under your chair <laughs> that you could stop if you needed to. 
Right. No, there was no stop button for a while. We were like, maybe we need a stop button. Maybe I need, you know, we didn't know how to make the piece. So we were like, I'll need, I'll need a stop button for drinking water. I'll need a stop button for if they start laughing, I'll need a stop button for, and then the very quickly it became clear. No, this is a tightrope walk. There should be no stop button. I don't get to drink any water. I don't get to, and you as the watcher, understand very quickly what the deal is so you understand if you interrupt me that i'm not going to stop and 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 so it it became this sort of um collaboration between the audience and me i always felt that from the beginning that that, and i didn't know that was going to happen i didn't know that it was going to feel like that but i think the audience felt very much like oh we all have to hold our breath too for this whole time, for this event to happen, because she's not going to be able to adjust to us at all. So we're just okay. on hooks too. And that point I am such so a weirdo amazing. that I tried to lip sync, right? I wanted to see <laughs> what you had to do. And what I want to say yeah. is what I find really remarkable, and this is so obvious, it is nearly impossible for me to lip sync for a sustained period of time where my mouth makes zero noise right? Like it's one thing. So, right. I mean, I'm just saying I'm stating the obvious, but I just wanted to understand like, so you, you, well, now you talk about special skill on your resume. I speak French, I juggle and I could lip sync for two hours (laughs) and 15 minutes. Um, Was that like... One hour and 14 minutes. Is exactly. Not, not Well, Kate Winslet now, you know, <laughs> held her breath longer than any other human underwater. And you have been able to lip sync words for longer than anybody. How, <laughs> what, how much um, training, like real time with a lip syncing coach, like, or was there one trick you learned early on and then you were like. A lot of it was that I had to teach the thing, the exact thing you're talking about. Tell me about how you conquered the the lip syncing have no sound out of your mouth what was the key to that opened up the, the skill for you um let's see god it's such a good question um well i i feel i feel like it was almost like a um like there were two, there, there's the right side of the brain, left side of the brain thing. There's the reading off of a page side of the brain, and there's the listening side of the brain. And I had to learn it both ways. And I had to learn the music of it very precisely, but I also had to learn the, the, the meaning of it. So there was like, it was like there were these two parallel learning problems and they were not compatible which was weird to me because I wouldn't have expected that I would like spend a day on two pages say learning it like regular actor like learning it off the page then I would feel that I had it then I would put the earphones in and try to do it with her voice and it would be gone and I would have no ability to remember what I had learned then I would do it the other way around where I would learn it like sound and then I would try to do it, do it without, without listening so that I could know that I had the words in order and I couldn't do that. And I just kept running into that wall over and over again until finally that wall 
started to go away. <laughs> so it wasn't really like an aha moment. It was more just keep coming at it, keep coming at it. But I, the whole time I, I was looking at some texts a few months ago and I wrote my friend Heidi while I was going on saying, this is just not working. I would, I, there were so many moments of hopeless, like not being able to stop crying because I was, I don't think this is working. I don't think that it's going in my brain. You know, you could be tired when you're trying to learn lines, but to really think it's actually not going in, <laughs> it was terrifying. That is and not a good feeling. Gradually yeah. Started. Yeah. No, it's not a good feeling. So I had to live with that feeling by myself for a long time and like yeah. that. And so by the time we started rehearsal, I, I had, I had uh, learned the whole thing and we did do a lot of changes, but the changes, everything was so slow moving because every time you technically changed something, you know, change the order of one section to the other, it would be, it would be like a full hour of Misha, like, you know, putting it all together. So I would have a lot of time. It wasn't like somebody just handing you the changes in yeah. the script. Yeah. Well, it, it will remain one of the most remarkable th theatrical performances um, that that anyone will have ever seen. And then just the remarkable nature of what the story itself is. And then the kind of incredible beauty of a, of a son finding a way to share and maybe in some ways liberate his mother from, you know, you described shame and a lot of adjectives of that were things that really weighed on her in the world. And it sounds like yeah. There was something about this play that also opened up things for her. Well, before I let you go, it it may sound corny, but can I ask you to indulge me and just finish this sentence for me? Um, sure. It goes a little something like this. Um, to me, <laughs> <laughs> to me, Didi O'Connell, Dana H. is... To me, Didi O'Connell, Dana H. is a, an act of love. And that's how it was received. And, and thus, the Tony that, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that was awarded to someone who did something purely for art. And that was a very thrilling thing to be the person at home watching the Tonys that year and seeing that kind of commitment and passion for telling stories that has never wavered. And you've done it for a very long time in so many different places with so many different people. But to see the culmination of your integrity and love and empathy and beauty, inner and outer um all all kind of streaming through this unbelievable piece of theater thank you thank you for being on and the award goes to you <laughs> thank you so much and the tony goes to is produced by alan seals for the broadway podcast network the music and lyrics for the theme song were written by georgia famusa Theme song orchestration by Alexander Sage Oyen. Episodes are edited by Derek Gunther. Thank you to Parody Bill for the graphics. 
And please don't forget to go to the iTunes show page and rate and review the show. Thanks for listening. Excerpt from the Tony Awards used with permission of Tony Awards Productions. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.